Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Who Art Thou podcast. I'm Bara and uh, today I will not be joined by a guest. Um, today I, I have a guest for this week. Don't worry, there'll be, there'll be an episode with a guest on. The, the, the three of them were absolutely phenomenal. I don't want to ruin who it is, but uh, they're very, very good. Um, it's nerves, I'll just say that. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no. Th- today we'll be doing something different in that I'll be doing the episode on my own. Um, I thought it'd be kind of a cool thing to do in that I don't know if anybody's been a big fan of the podcast or has listened to a few, one or two episodes, but they've probably heard me mention of this band, Death Heaven, a few times. They've probably heard me mention them quite a few times, um, maybe citing them as my favorite band in the world or a band that I... Uh, have a deep emotional connection to but um, yeah so this album that I'll be talking about is one is their second album it actually it was celebrating its 10 year anniversary last month but I was very busy in that I was finishing off college and uh, working and doing the podcast so I didn't really get around to recording an episode of it but I had you know I had a minute and I thought it was quite important because it is an album that's very very important to me uh, personally and I think it kind of shaped a lot of the music that I listen to now, um, it helped, it, uh, from a emotional level, it, it hit me quite hard. It, so this episode, I will be talking about that um, later on. But uh, yeah, the album Sunbather, which people are probably aware of, um, whether it be for the album cover, the fact that it was the most positively reviewed album of 2013, which is insane uh, for how much of a niche album it actually is. But um, it is one of those albums that I find myself coming back to on a regular basis uh, quite a lot. And it's one of those kind of cool ones where it, uh, like, I love when people say it's not a metal album. Like, it fucking is. It's extreme as shit. Like, um, but it is one of those albums that people who don't listen to metal, which I've encountered quite a few times because, you know, like, I chat to people about music quite a bit. And um, a lot of people that I know don't listen to metal, but they still really love this record. Um, and it's insane that it's 10 years old already. It's ca- kind of baffling. So if you don't know Death Heaven, they're uh, the ire of uh, a lot of true cult black metal fans. And uh, there were, I think, a moment where a lot of hipsters were just like, hey, can we listen to this now? <laughs> they were they they were for a while. Like, I don't think they're as divisive as they are anymore, mainly because probably they laid the blueprint. Well, they didn't lay it, but the they were kind of like... Um, the first major popular band to do the whole shoe gaze and black gaze thing, black metal thing, which became known as black gaze, which is a term that I genuinely hate, even though I find myself using it quite a bit because I find with death heaven as well, there's a lot more than just the shoe gaze and black metal stuff. There's a lot of post stuff in there. There's hardcore influences, screamo, um, emo stuff occasionally. Um, so yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, they were, a very contested band for a while because it's so some of the reasons they're so stupid is like they didn't look like a metal band for starters because they all had short hair um black shirts were dressed prim and proper you'd that you'd swear you were going to i don't know just not a black metal show when you saw them live but um then you saw them live and then they're absolutely ferocious uh but yeah no they are one of my favorite bands so i, I think i think where to start it off with is, is how i discover them because it's quite funny so at the time it would have been around, I would have found them around 2014. So the album came out in 2013. I didn't quite know of it at, the, at that time. Um, I, uh, I, I didn't really listen to extreme metal. Like as extreme as, as the stuff that I listen to now, like I wouldn't have been listening to grindcore. Um, I wouldn't listen to, I certainly wouldn't have listened to black metal. 
because it was like Satan stuff. That's weird. Uh, death metal, definitely not. Um, it would have been more kind of like Machine Head, Trivium, Bring With Horizon. I'd say like the heaviest I would have gone was like Suicide Silence, Whitechapel, uh, that kind, those kind of bands. Um, and I remember just kind of I discovered an album called uh, Melina Casmata. I th- think that's what it's called by Tripticon. I'm not sure of the exact pronunciation, uh, but that would have been kind of I can't remember even how I found Tripticon to be honest. Um, but I just remember hearing the tone in that album. And for anybody who doesn't know the album, um, so Tripticon is fronted by Thomas Warrior of Celtic Frost, who were like a first wave black metal band. Um, they're pretty cool. They're kind of, it's kind of like, uh, it's not that kind of icy sound. It's more kind of a thrashy thing. They kind of moved more into doom, black and doom towards their last couple albums. Uh, at least I think so anyway, but yeah, Melina Casmata came out in 2014 and, um, oh, do you know what it was? It was the fact that their album cover was done by HR Geiger because I have a couple of HR Geiger books. I was big into him at one point. Um, but, uh, I remember listening to that. I was like, fuck, the guitar tone on this is insane. And then I was looking it up and they, they were, I remember being noted that they were an extreme metal band. I was like, what the fuck is extreme metal? So I started going on lists and stuff and I found um, like album of the years by, I think it was Show No Mercy, which was the blog that pit, that they had the blogger. That Show No Mercy was the blog and he did a top 10 or top 20 list for Pitchfork of best metal albums in 2013. So I started going through that list trying to find new metal that I wouldn't have listened to before. Just kind of something a bit more like uh, avant-garde because I wasn't pretentious at all. But um, at the end was Sunbather. I remember seeing the pink cover and being like, uh, what the fuck is that? Why, why is it pink? And then it was like, it's black metal. I was like, oh, what's black metal? I hadn't a clue what it was. So I gave it a listen. Um, I, and I know what the song was. It was Dreamhouse. It was the first song that I listened to. I remember I was, it was about three o'clock in the morning. I was at my granny's house in Tyrone, um, which is like in the middle of nowhere and, uh, trying to find it. And I remember listening to it and instantly going, this is so shit. I was like, why is the vocal so buried down in the mix? What, what is this screaming? What is this? It was, it was just like, the music's good, but the screaming, oh, Jesus Ew. <laughs> I was like, this is terrible. I was like, only pretentious nerds would have liked this album. That was genuinely my take at the time. I was like, I'm going to go back and listen to some Trivium. But um, <laughs> I really didn't like it. I swear to God, I really, really didn't like it. Um, which is gas now to think of. But uh, so, yeah, I, I didn't listen to it. I can't remember what other albums were on that list, but uh, I I kind of went away <laughs> and uh for about a year or two, I'd say I kind of got more heavy into metal. Like I got into Cannibal Corpse or one of the big ones. Um, I'm trying to think of some other behemoth uh, were pretty cool. Uh, got into them. And um, oh, yeah, because the Satanist would have come out around then, I think. I can't remember what year the Satanist came out, but I remember really liking that album, particularly Blow Your Trumpet, Gabriel. I was like, this is so cool. And it was like, for my super Catholic upbringing, it was one of the coolest. I was like, yeah, stick it to the man, but never show my dad. <laughs> but um, so what I would do was, because there was a HMV on Henry Street, and what I would do was i get paid once a week. And uh, when I got paid, one of the things that I would do was uh, HMV had a deal where you could get three albums for, I think it was like three old albums for like three for 12. And then there was some other deal like three for 15 or it was like three for 20 or something. It was some deal like that. 
And normally what I would do was I would buy two albums that I knew because I collected CDs at the time. I still do. I have a collection of like 900 behind me of now vinyl has taken over and ruined me financially. But um, uh, so, yeah, I'd, bu- I'd buy two that I knew and then one that I didn't. And I remember being in HMV on Henry Street downstairs. I think it was downstairs. doesn't matter. No one gives a shit um, about the specifics of where you were in the shop. But, uh, and I saw this album cover and it was, it was New Bermuda by Death Heaven. It was their third album. And it was instantly kind of taken over by the, the cover art. I thought the cover art was one of the kind of darkest, um, gloomy things I'd ever seen. And it instantly hooked me. But I remember reading the title and going, wait, the, oh, this is fucking Death Heaven again. That band that you just hated. And uh, I was like, you know what? Take a chance on me. So um, I took, bought it, came home, listened to it and fell in love with it. I thought from start to finish, it was phenomenal. Um, I still think it's my favorite album by them. I don't know uh, if I'd say it's their best, but it's my personal favorite. But in terms of emotional value, the, like the thing that the thing that the album that hits me sonically to the core of my being is Sunbather. So I went back and listened to Sunbather after listening to New Bermuda and instantly fell in love with it again. So um, and it opened its way up to so many other bands like Boston Ag were a big one that I started getting to. I'll say uh, Liturgy. Uh, who I'm still obsessed with. I, I think their album this year is one of the best albums I've heard, best metal albums I've heard in years, um, particularly best, mat- best black metal albums. So th- yeah, Blue Toss Nord were another one. Then like Full of Hell came along, which I never would have listened to if it weren't for Death Heaven and so many other bands that I can't list them all off. But Boston Agward's kind of the big one. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right. B-O-S-B-O-S-S-E dash D-E dash N-A-G-E. Um, they were a big one uh, that I started listening to and I'll say was the other one. Um, so, yeah. But uh, w- with this album, so I'll talk about Death Heaven now and, you know, kind of, I think that's kind of a good introduction of me discovering them. Um, I'll talk about what the album meant to me later on because it actually, it became, it became more of relevance to me. Revelance, ugh. I'm trying to think of the word. It doesn't matter. It, ca- it came more kind of close to me in later years but um so death heaven are banned from they're from san francisco um originally they're made so originally they were a two-piece so when they actually went i think i'm pretty sure when they went in to record somebody there they were a two-piece um at the beginning when they were writing it and uh before that they'd had an album called road to judah which had came out in let me just double check um because I'm doing this off the top of the dome, believe it or not, which is probably not a good idea. But uh, Road to Judah was 2011. They had a demo in 2010. But they also, which I only found out from researching, that I never knew this, that they were in a band, Kerry and George Clark, who are the kind of the masterminds behind the kind of early releases, um, were in a band called Rise of Caligula, which is a grindcore band. So if you're familiar with, Death Heaven's music and George is a singer in the band so if you're familiar with Death Heaven's music um, it's the high pitched scream vocal like the screamo vocal is the one that they utilize most they've moved into kind of a more I don't know if you want to call it Morrissey-esque on their latest album but uh, originally it was a, it was a, the screamo vocal but um, Rise to Clegg is kind of an interesting one to go back and listen to because like it is a grindcore 
album. And I don't know if for anybody who doesn't know what grindcore is, it's like Napalm Death and Full of Hell. It's pure kind of, it's like, it's like almost like metallic punk with just noise elements. It's kind of one of the most ferocious and uncompromising music you can make. Uh, it's pretty, pretty hardcore. A lot of it deals with kind of like social and political, economical issues. Um, but uh, it's awesome. I love it. I think it's, I think it's fantastic. So I, I went back and listened to uh, Rise of Caligula's first album. So the first album is called Parading from Heaven's Descent. Uh, it was released in 2009. Um, I'm going to play a sample so you kind of get you get the gist of what I'm talking about, why it was such a out there album well, not for the band. So you'll hear kind of... So this is George going to be singing the part that you're going to hear now. tell from that uh, snippet that it's uh, a very ferocious album <laughs> it is not pleasant uh, it's but it does sound awesome it, it it's what's interesting about it though is what and why I bring it up what's important is there is moments of these kind of quiet delicate parts between songs that um, are kind of integral to the death heaven sound you'll hear it utilized quite a bit on sunbather uh, like Road to Judea, Road to Ju- not Judea, Road to Judah has it as well, the album. But uh, you'll hear it's kind of these moments that um, I think is what re- it's kind of interesting listening to it on a grindcore album because you don't normally get moments like that. So I'm going to show you just a sample of that just so you can see what I'm talking about. it's interesting that what I'm saying is it's interesting that even from that point on the 2009 that you can see these like it's Kerry McCoy's uh, kind of post-rock elements influences coming in like more than they're more than just focusing on you know crazy metal stuff there is other elements going on yeah it's a shame that album's not on uh, it's not on Spotify but uh, because I would listen to the shit out of it Uh, it's you can listen to it on YouTube um, there's also a live video of them performing it. It's interesting seeing Kerry McCoy move like crazy because uh, he's normally quite reserved live. He's awesome live, by the way. I've, I've, I saw Death Heaven live. It was one of the happiest moments of my life. But um, there's a, there is a live video of them playing. It's it's Rise of Caligula live at Chain Reaction. And you can see, what I love about it is there's this guy in a blue hoodie doing the typical, like he's just walking back and forth between the stage with his hand behind his, but, but at his side, just going, fuck you. Yeah, I'm so hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, middle. Um, I've been there as well, but uh, <laughs> but um, so so that eventually, so Rise of Caligula disbanded, 
and Kerry and George went into making Death Heaven. Um, interesting little factoid, I think. I'm not, I'm not sure if it's known exactly where they got their name from. I saw that George kind of put it together when they were spitballing names and thought, of, thought it was a good name. But uh, as far as I'm aware, the, the fan theory goes is that um, death, the words death and heaven are featured in a Shakespearean sonnet. Now, I know for a fact that George reads quite a bit, so I don't think it'd be too much of a stretch of the imagination to imagine that he saw the two words. But um, the theory is that he saw those two words, death and heaven, and they combine them as kind of like an homage or tribute to Slow Dive, the other sh- the shoegaze band, um, who actually just had a really nice release, if anybody's interested. But uh, so they, yeah, so they formed uh, Sunbathers. They released their, no, they formed Death Heaven. They released their first album, Road to Judah. And Road to Judah is a very good album. Uh, well, it's not very good. It's a decent album. It's kind of like, uh, like you can see the kind of makings of the American black metal scene, like other bands like Panopticon, um, uh, House, uh, Wolves of the Throne Room, these kind of black metal bands that were kind of starting to emerge. Like Road to Judah is kind of part of that movement. And it was a really exciting time for black metal as well. Like going back and listening to those records, some, a lot of them are awesome. The kind of early uh, noughties and teen uh, teen era of uh the tw- 2020s um or 2020s those black metal albums are pretty sick um i think the real famous wolves of the throne room one was like celestial lineage i think was the big one i think that's what it's called um panopticon have an amazing one called autumn eternal i think let me just double, I'll double check but um yeah, oh, Obsesquia is another band that I forgot to mention that Death Heaven got me into. Obsesquia are amazing. They have like a medieval black metal tone going on. It's They're awesome. But uh, yeah, The Wolves of the Throne Room, the big kind of um, metal album that they had that I remember of according to Spotify was, come on, Spotify, come on. Yeah, oh, it's just called Celeste. Oh, so no, it is Celestial Lineage. I was right. Celestial Lineage is a phenomenal album. And then... Panopticon, which is kind of a folk black metal album, uh, is pretty sick. Uh, and that was called Autumn Eternal, which I was right. That was 2015. So that would have been the year that I would have got into, started getting into metal. And then um, another really, really great one, actually, just and j- just while I'm on the topic, is a band called Agalock. Now, I'm not, I can't quite remember where Agalock are from, but I'm pretty sure they're European. But they had an album called The Mantle, which was released in 2002, which is a folk black metal album or is it, I think it's just a folk album but it has a song called The Great Cold Death of the Earth which in my opinion is one of the greatest heavy metal songs ever um, you can fight me on it if you want you'll probably beat me in a fist fight but in a verbal one may not but um, so yeah they 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 went in for they made Road to Judah which if you listen to it I'm not going to show too much I'm not going to show any of it actually because we'll, we'll get into some bather and it's lyrical themes and stuff like that um, if you listen to it it's it's uh you can see the blueprints being made for Sunbather, but um, like you can see, it has a stepping stone. It was it was a pretty key moment in the band's life. The demo also has kind of more of that building and building, but um, yeah. So they're worth checking out, but I don't think we'll go into too much detail because like I only have an hour and I don't want to go over time and bore you to death. We want to we're here for the album Sunbather, so we won't talk about the album Sunbather. So the band that have been signed with um. Deathwish Records, which is Jacob Bannon's record label. He's the singer for Converge. Um, he's also in a few other bands, but Converge obviously are the big one. So they re- 
recorded the album in I think six days I think they did it in six days with producer Jack Shirley working with them who as far as I'm aware what I think he produced uh, Road to Judah as well I'm not 100% sure he's a very acclaimed producer in his own right um, he would have done work with uh, Loma Prita who just played Dublin I think a uh, great band he did Boston Ag stuff uh, were as in W-H-I-R-R and he plays in a band called Comrade, C-O-M-A-D-R-E. But, uh, so he was the producer on it. And uh, one of the kind of things that I think worked very well was his, uh, I think he was the one that suggested that, I'm not 100% sure, but when you listen to the album, it has this, what I, what I found called echo chamber reverberation was the way that it was described to me, which is the vocal aesthetic that's on the album. Like if you listen to, uh, sunbather you'll know it's one of the kind of key defining signature sounds of it next to the guitars is that vocal the way they do it it's it's just down in the mix and it just has this um i don't know how to describe it 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 just sounds really really cool um i didn't like it at the first the first time i heard it, i didn't like it I, because i was listening to metal where the vocal was always at the forefront next to the guitars but um I like obviously in in hindsight now I think it works excellently but um so he produced it uh as I said already the band, the album was the most positively reviewed album of that year it was also I think one of the most like listed as one of the most anticipated albums of the year so there was a lot going on going on it for the two lads for George Clark and Kerry McCoy to go in and record it it's, which is kind of nuts and um to talk about you know you know the kind of what they were going through and stuff as well. Like with that line on their back, uh, George was going through a heavy bout of alcoholism as far as we were struggling with it anyway. Um, you'll, you'll hear kind of notions of that in each song that there'll be kind of allusions to it. Actually, not even allusions. There's just straight up talking about it. Uh, it's a very honest album. I think death heaven described it as their darkest album. I have a few kind of, uh, like quotes from the lads about it and then uh carrie mccoy also was suffering from addiction to painkillers and opiates so um yeah it's uh well i don't know opiate, but definitely painkillers um aren't they the same i'm not sure but uh yeah so you know not exactly in the fucking best of mindsets um i have a quote here from george Carr described the new material as less melancholic and less centered around black metal, but rather featuring a more lush and rock driven and even pop driven sound at times. I think that's kind of an accurate way of describing it. Like, uh, New Bermuda, definitely the one after that, I think is much more of a metal focused album. I think it's probably their most metal album, maybe comparatively to Rota Judah, but, um, yeah. And the other thing to note as well about the album is that, like, as I said, it's just the two of them. It's just Carrie and, Carrie and, uh, and George. But I think a turning point in the kind of the sound of the band was adding in a drummer called Dan Tracy. Uh, so he became a permanent fixture of the band after the album. Um, but he was the third member added. And I have a quote here from uh, from George about talking ta- from talking about adding drums to the band as a drum, like as an actual drummer. And he said, "For me, drums have always been a bit of an afterthought, which is strange because they certainly shape our sound. But as long as they were fast, I didn't care much otherwise." That is definitely not the case with this record. There, there are sections where drums absolutely make the sound, the song pop, which is a huge development. And I think they are kind of a, a very, very center point of the album uh, in terms of kind of that oomph. And you really do hear it. Like you, you hear it certainly on the opener. 
to uh, Dreamhouse, which you'll hear in a bit. Um, another thing that I have noted here is that there was a use. There's quite a, a lot of use of a whammy bar, which apparently is inspired by My Bloody Valentine's glide guitar technique. Now, I'm not a guitar technician or a musician, uh, so I don't really know what that means, but I know it when I hear it. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so that's kind of the background of going into it uh, and kind of the recording and stuff. Obviously, that we could talk about it a lot more. But uh, I think what I'll do now is I'm, I'm going to go in and start talking about the lyrical themes of each song, and we'll start showing samples of the songs as well. So we're going to start off with... Um, talking about the actual lyrical themes of the whole album and then we'll move more into directly talking about songs so um the as far as i'm aware from my notes here that the uh, the lyrical themes of sunbather was uh, partly inspired by the singer george growing up with his mother and brother without any money and wondering what it like be, to be to have it uh, there's also his realization, like his former absent father, he's able to be cold emotionally and not necessarily able to love. So that's kind of like a central theme. You'll you'll see a lot of kind of, uh, kind of melan not melancholic. You'll see, yeah, you'll see this kind of, ap not apathy either. I'm trying to think of a way to put it brilliantly. Um, kind of an existential crisis, I would say. There's a lot of that kind of which feeds into the themes of addiction, the things of longing, wanting to be, you know, comfortable. Uh, I think it kind of plays in a lot to uh, this quote from George here, which I think kind of sums it up perfectly. Uh, she, his mom, lives in such a beautiful town. She moved there a few years ago after I moved out, but I got really depressed in the bourgeoisie, all white seaside community. So one day I skipped class, drove around, and I just saw this girl in the nicest house and she was just lying there. I was totally overcome with immense depression. It looked so nice. And I was like, what the fuck am I doing with my life mood at the time? I had a notepad with me and the first half of that song was jotted down right there. Um, I don't know if anybody's, you probably all, if you're listening to this and you're a fan of Death Heaven, you probably have all seen the cover for Sunbather, the pink cover with the the gorgeous font uh, kind of slanted, obscured in a particular way. And what that's meant to signify is looking up at the sun with your hands kind of covering just to get the sun out of your eyes. As far as I'm aware, that's, that's the kind of, that's the reason why it's designed the way that it is. And it's actually designed by Nick Steinhardt, who is the bassist. I think he was the bassist and he's the guitarist for Touche Amore, um, which is pretty sweet. And he's done, I'm pretty sure that he's done all the other uh album artwork for death heaven to this point like uh the album uh oh what the hell is it called the latest death heaven album i can't remember the name of it two seconds i should know this uh <laughs> infinite granite god how did i nearly forget that um the album cover for that that had a gorgeous typeface that went along with it I think you can buy it, but it's very expensive. Or maybe you're not able to buy and you couldn't get it. I remember I've not been able to get it. I have the Sunbather typeface, but I don't have the uh, the Infinite Granite one, and I really want it because it's it's so lovely. But I'm pretty sure he's done all the uh, the designs for the band since. I know the painting for New Bermuda was done by a pretty well-renowned artist, um, an American artist, I think. But, uh, well, actually, don't quote me on that. I'm not 100% sure, but um, I would imagine that he would have had a point to play. He, did road, he definitely did Road to Judah anyway. But uh, I think it's time to talk about maybe the uh, opening song on the album, which is Dreamhouse. Now, I'm going to say something that might annoy some people, but uh, I, th I, I would say Dreamhouse is probably the most memorable song on the album. 
Um, it just sets the. T- it's one of the. I, th- I genuinely think it's one of the best openers to an album I've ever heard. I think. I think it sets the tone fantastically. It sets everything. It, you kind of, as soon as you listen to it, you know what type of album you're in for. But it still has so much surprises in it as well, if that makes sense. Um, e- even now, when I listen to it, and I used to listen to it before I went to bed every night for a long time, um, it uh, it still gets me. Like it's there's something so unbelievably powerful about it. And um, maybe at the end, the, the the ending point of the song, you kind of get it. But I'm just going to play the opener to the song, so you kind of know how it starts just a little sample of it and how you kind of just go fuck <laughs> i wish i had that reaction when i first listened to it going like oh but it was more like fuck this <laughs> but uh yeah here's the opener to here's the opener to the album sunbather the song is dreamhouse Chills, 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 chills. <laughs> Every time I listen to it. Um, so you can see there, like, you're probably wondering why I'm going to spend so much time talking about the lyrics. Uh, I think, you know, it's kind of hard to understand exactly what he's actually saying, but um, reading the lyrics to this album is one of my favorite aspects of it. I think the lyrics are just absolutely gorgeous. They're um, really, really, really honest and they're beautiful so we will be talking with them quite a bit but like uh you probably heard it kind of going what i like about uh death heaven which i think is kind of a signature of theirs is this blend obviously of going into different moods kind of almost instantaneously and like obviously that's on i think dream has is nine minutes long so uh we won't be able to go through the whole bit i will be showing the the closer to it because the closer is a very 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 obviously critical part of the song but um yeah, they're able to just do these swings and mood. You'll have these like um, amazing moments of aggression and just, but like there's always like a little bit of hint of beauty in it. And then they can break into these just gorgeous, lush post-metal guitar bits that um, like I see the the band Explosion in the Sky gets knocked around quite a bit as a uh, reference point in terms of the sound. Uh, and I think they do it really well. But yeah, we'll get into the lyrics here very quickly. So I'll read out some of them. Like, uh, So the song actually opens up with the lyrics, Hindered by sober restlessness, submitting to the amber crutch, the theme in my aching prose. So that's obviously a kind of not-so-subtle reference to alcohol, like the amber crutch um, would be beer, maybe, uh, hard liquor. Um, I'm not so sure what the theme in my aching prose means um but it's probably like i would imagine that's his struggles uh but uh then it goes into the next kind of verse is uh fantasizing the side of manhattan and that can be interpreted both ways like the song itself is about 
greed, I think, and wealth. So I, th- I have a quote here. Yeah, it's about possess- about obsession with wealth and the idea of a dream house. Everybody has one, whether or not it's a priority. I walk down the street in San Francisco and I think I love that house. It's a symbol of everything I don't have. So um, Manhattan could be seen because it's like, obviously it's one of the most expensive areas of real estate in New York. Um, it's also the name of a drink though. So could double entendre. By the way, I will be saying just, just a caveat so that people don't think that I'm a musical genius. I actually am using the website Genius uh, for a lot of these. Um, so there's a lot of contributors to it. I think quite a lot of the uh, notes are pretty spot on. Um, so I'll be using that just just to help me along with my own interpretations. Um, so it kind of goes into more more to do with the alcohol thing with the next verse again. So that pour of bitter red being this that escapes a thin frame, a bitter red being the rebirth of mutual love. So red being obviously people say it's a reference to um, red wine, which apparently George was very fond of. Um, and then the rebirth of mutual love uh, could be a, a notion of uh, that he can enjoy life without actually needing, without actually being intoxicated. Uh, so it then goes into lyrics, which I actually don't really know the the meaning of these, to be honest. Um, the slipping on gloves to lay tenderly is repeated quite a few times. I know George wears gloves when he performs live. Um Apparently, George has stated that this means it's a barrier between him himself and the ones he loves, as if making skin contact would only further aid pain. Uh, so I answered my own question there. This is why we use genius. <laughs> um, but then the last part. So there's an instrumental midway through the song, and then the last part has this part where it says, "It's I always imagined it. So the lyrics are, I'm dying. Is it blissful? It's like a dream. I want to dream. And I kind of always imagined it as a person who was terminally ill talking to someone who was suicidal. That's kind of the 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 image that I always got out of it. Supposedly the lyrics actually come from a night where George, I think, was texting a girl who was hammered. And I think he was hammered as well. And he was in love with this girl and he texted her, how are you? And she responded, I'm dying. Um, and he responded, is it blissful? And she said, no, she says, I want, oh, she says, sorry. Let me try that again. He asked, how are you? She said, I'm dying. And he wrote back, is it blissful? And she said, it's like a dream. And then he responded, I want to dream. So, uh, and then use it in the song. It's kind of funny because I would have thought that would be, you know, just a weird conversation. But then to get kind of a significant meaning out of it, um, I always thought just the ending really, really did hit home for me in some particular way that I can't really put into words what I got out of it you're that kind of blinded by like when you're, you know, that mentally unwell, you're kind of that blinded by, you can't really think straight or think forward in a way. Um, But yeah, I'll, I'll play it. I'll play the part in it now and you can really hear just the pure emotion that's coming out of George's vocals and the whole band together as a whole. I think it really is just this amazing crescendo moment uh, in the song. So uh, here's the final part of, uh, dream house so you can hear what i'm talking about you can actually hear it very very well on the live album that they've recorded 10 years gone uh but we're obviously we're dealing with sunbather so we're going to be listening to the sunbather version
I could listen to that all day. <laughs> I love that ending. Um, yeah, I hope I expl- I hope I explained Dreamhouse quite well because uh, you're gonna have to listen to me explain a bunch of more songs off this now. But um, so we're gonna go into uh, the next song, which actually uh, which Dreamhouse kind of flows into. So there's no, you can when you're listening to it on the album, there's no break. It just flows directly into the song, which is called Ir- Irresistible. Uh, now, Irresistible is an interlude. Uh, funny enough, actually, it was I think it was my second highest played song in 2015 or 2018 or something on my Spotify. 2018 on my Spotify. I, I really do love this song. And it's just an interlude. But you'll notice this in the structure of Sunbather that um, it's a seven song album, but it has like three interlude moments and then four main songs. So interlude is the first of... Um, of the uh, interludes, uh, it's a three-minute track, and it's it's just absolutely delightful. It um, it really is just it's just a beautiful song. Uh, I don't really I don't really have much more to say, but I'll play samples of it. But it really I I think what I really like about this album is the interlude moments in it. it they kind of let you breathe and let you kind of, especially after a song as as full on and Dreamhouse, just to sit there and kind of live with it, with Irresistible, especially when you're listening to the album for the first time, it, it kind of comes out of nowhere. You're like, wait, what? What is this album going to be? There's tremolo picking, there's blast beats, then there's just piano and string moments in it. Um, yeah, it's incredible. By the way, did I mention that this album's recorded in like six days? I think I did. Um, nuts. Nuts. But uh, yeah, so this is, I'd play a little sample of Irresistible. I, I think this song's absolutely gorgeous. love the simplicity of it it's just uh after like such a hellish um and kind of uncompromising battering as well as some lovely moments i just love the simplisticness of that song i think it's absolutely gorgeous um but uh yeah we'll move into now what is the uh title track of the album which is Dreamhouse. so obviously i've already discussed um what Dreamhouse is actually about like this idea of you know, what the fuck am I doing in my life? Why can't I have that? Seeing kind of the riches and wealth of other people and longing for it, um, as well as dealing with your own shit. So that's what this song's about, obviously. So uh, we'll go through the lyrics here as well, because as I like, you're probably going to get sick of me going through the lyrics, but I do think they're integral to understand the ooh, creaky chair, the emotion that goes into the musicianship as well as the delivery of the vocal. I, I do really think it's integral to death heaven sound um in my personal opinion anyway so uh the opening line of the lyric like and again it deals with that sense of want and the the you know the suburban house with the white fence which i actually think yeah it does have the the lyric white fence in it so it's uh, i held my breath and drove through a maze of wealthy homes and i watched how green the trees were and i watched the steep walkways and the white fences 
I gripped the wheel. I sweated against the leather. I watched the dogs twist through the wealthy garden. I watched you lay in a towel and grass that exceeded the height of your legs. I gazed into reflective eyes. I cried against an ocean of light and an ocean of light. And I think I'm pretty confident that an ocean of light is, um, it's, that's kind of a, a kind of a reoccurring theme on this album. You'll notice light and brightness being used as, I don't know if it's kind of a motif for uh, looking at, looking onwards to a better life or, um, there, but there is like this emotional attachment to this, to the, not to the sun, but uh, like looking up, I guess. Um, and the way it's something that George re- references quite a bit is the suburban life. So I gaze into reflective eyes, uh, sunglasses, obviously. And um, the I, I watched you lay in a towel and grass that exceeded the height of your legs. I, I'm assuming that is a... Uh, oh, actually, yeah, that's a reference. That's obviously a reference to the... Um, the, 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 the what the album cover, I think, was inspired by that, the, that I talked about earlier. Uh, that when he was depressed and said, what the fuck is going on with my life? But um, I cried against an ocean of light. Uh, so we'll talk about that. So the genius annotation here uh, is that George Carter has an emotional attachment to the area and is most likely revisiting the home neighborhood of a former lover. Although he detailed the appealingly rich, bright, imaginary, and affluent neighborhood, he has negative associations with it. He's pained by its beauty as it calls forth memories of lost love. As of note, the pink-orange gradient of the album's cover is intended to simulate the look of looking through one's eyelids. The ocean light. I always thought it was looking at the sun and kind of, but that makes more sense as well. Anyway, so the next batch of lyrics are um, crippled by the ocean. I sank into sheets. So I'm assuming that's getting lost in that kind of sense of isolation. Like you hear people when they're, you know, depressed or whatever, just spending ages and ages and ages in bed, being paralyzed, isolated. That I, that's kind of what I get from that. And then it goes on to say, frozen by rose petal toes, my back shivered from your pressed granite nails. Dishonest and ugly through the space in my teeth, back b- break bones down to yellow and crush gums into blood. The hardest part of the week, and that's week W-E-A-K, was stroking your fingers with rings full of teeth. The hardest part of the week was stroking your fingers with rings full of teeth. So rose petal toes and granite nails are metaphors of the neighborhood represented as the girls. So I think it's that kind of Stepford Wives kind of look. Uh, the girl's rings full of teeth are from slapping boys who try to kiss her like the neighborhood, break ba- bones down to yellow and crush gums into blood of those who do not belong, such as the author. Who is dishonest and ugly for having space in my teeth for not being able to afford braces a kid must have for upper or middle class, uh, something that upper and middle class kids would have was braces. So even despite the fact that, you know, the lyrics kind of get washed out with the way they're delivered and and stuff, like these are really fucking deep lyrics as I keep saying that's why I find myself when when I was um when I was like really 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 listening to this album on a very very regular basis I would sit and read the lyrics to it. I just thought it was just incredible um and the music that accompanies this song is 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 really 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 impactful as well I'll play a couple of samples of it now in a second but I will get to the last little paragraph or stanza or whatever they're called I can't remember um, it's 5am and my heart flourishes at each passing moment always and forever always and forever so um, so the genius annotations here which I probably should point out that I still am reading those is that the whole song is in DBM alternate between the relative E while the bridge before the line is M which in this part is in G so this actually represents a different mood and situation than the one before it 
So while the whole song before this part has a subject of longing for the unattainable life of being in the sun, being the sunbather, as the girl is in this song, this part seems cathartic. With the constant motive of the sun, motif of the sun, of the sun, this part describes that it's finally dawned for him. It's 5 a.m. This is obvious. This is an obvious from the use of the flourishing image like flowers doing the sun. His heart is finally feeling the warmth of the sun. It's kind of a, yeah, moment of catharsis. So there are happy moments on this album, believe it or not. <laughs> kind of self-realization. But um, I'll play I'll play a little sample of uh, Sunbather so you get the means for it. It um, it's there's not really there's there's no bad songs on these album on this album. There really isn't. It, it I would consider it a masterpiece, and this is kind of one of those songs that kind of ties into that reasoning. I could get away with playing the whole song um, obviously I can't because uh, I'm pretty sure it's very long yeah it's 10 minutes long So, but there are a lot of other beautiful moments to be found on that song as well Sunbather, it's a gorgeous song but um, we go into now another interlude called uh, Please Remember which is the fourth song on the album now it's it's an interlude but it's it's six and a half minutes and what's kind of interesting is it has this like almost noise quality element to it like almost like this creepy kind of meandering spacey vibe going on. And during this uh, meandering spacey vibe that I just mentioned that leads into this guitar part, uh, you'll hear a spoken word section. Now, I didn't know until actually putting this uh, episode together that I, I always assumed this was um, one of the members of the band. Like maybe I thought it might have been George, it might have been Kerry, maybe even Dan. I wasn't really too sure. But I found out from reading it that it's actually um, Stefan Pau. Now I'm probably getting the name wrong, but he's the lead singer for the band, I'll say, the French shoegazy black gaze metal band. I hate that term, but that's kind of the best way to put them. Uh, By the way, a phenomenal band. If you ever want to check them out, they're also fantastic live. I saw them open for, um, oh, who do they open for? Anathema do you remember that band Anathema I think that's how you pronounce it they opened for them in the academy they were fantastic anyway 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 so he's reading an extract or a passage excuse me from a book called The Unbearable Lightness of Being by an author called Milan Kundera now I'm hoping I'm getting that right Um, as far as I'm aware it's a book it was originally published in 1984 Uh, it's a romance novel and philosophical fiction as far as I'm aware it's George Clark's favourite book um as at least that's what I've read online on the interweb. And it's about two women, two men, and a dog, and their lives in 1968 Prague spring period of Czechoslovakian history. So uh, I haven't read it myself now, to be honest, but um, I'll read the extract for you so you can see what he's saying. I'll also play like a sample of it. But uh, it's kind of a weird breakup in the album. I don't know if I'm actually, if I really like it or not. I do think it's cool as fuck. It sounds cool as fuck. 
Um, so I guess if it sounds good, fuck, I do like it. But um, yeah, the lyrics for it are twisting and turning beside the slumbering Teresa. He recalls something she told him a long time before in the course of an insignificant conversation. They'd been talking about his friend Z when she announced, if I hadn't met you, I'd certainly have fallen in love with him. Even then, her words had left Thomas in a strange state of melancholy, and now he realized it's only a matter of chance that Teresa loved him and not his friend Z. Apart from her consummated love for Thomas, there were, in the realm of possibility, an infinite number of unconsummated loves for other men. We all reject out of hand the idea that the love of our life may be something light or weightless. We presume our love is not what we must be, that without it our life would no longer be the same. We feel Beethoven himself, gloomy and awe-inspiring, is playing to our own great love. Now, I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure what it means uh, off the dome. Um, I do think it's an interesting extract. Uh, I'd love to know why he picked it. I actually, I don't know. Um, But as far as I'm aware, the only thing that I've got from George, which is from his interview with Pitchfork, which came out around the same time that it came out a little bit after the album released, I think. It's a very great interview, but he says... Just the passage is very important to me. It really screams insecurity, which I have huge faults with. So that's all for that. I'll play a little sample of it here so you kind of get the gist of it. But it has a lovely little, this song has a lovely little guitar part at the end that's quite nice. And then obviously it leads into Vertigo, which is just a monster of a song, a behemoth of a song. But yeah, here's Please Remember. So now we move into Vertigo, which um, I think Next to Dreamhouse is probably my favorite song on the album. It's a difficult one to put down, but I think Vertigo is one of those prime examples uh, of why Death Heaven are such a fantastic band. Uh, it has these unabashedly awesome guitar solos, these amazing post-rock moments. Uh, as everything that I've mentioned before that makes this album fantastic, basically, like pure black metal moments, like hard as fuck. And then beautiful transitions as well. Um, it's the, As I said, it's the longest song on the album. It has so many twists and turns. It's It's phenomenal. It really is absolutely phenomenal. I could probably talk about it a little bit more but as I said one of the main aspects of this particular video is I want to go into the lyrics for it so um, which you're probably sick of me hearing already but we'll go into Vertigo here uh, so this song supposedly is a reflection as George reflecting on his past and all the actions that brought him to his current state which I think is a uh, aspect of human life that we can all uh, you know relate to but um, again, it's one of the longer songs in terms of lyrics, I think, on the album. Uh, it has kind of more kind of not as so much like it has more kind of dense points of lyric, but uh, it is fantastic. But like even um, the lyric here, lost in the patterns of youth and the ghost of your aches come down to haunt you and the forging of change makes no difference. Like what a beautiful way of just kind of ref- of being able to communicate reflecting uh 
about your past failures as youth. Like I know that's a horrible kind of thing to drench up, but um, I don't know. I think the lyricism and it's fantastic. Uh, and I just love that the forging of change makes no difference. And it's like, no matter how hard he tries, the narrator keeps falling into bad habits, which I think is obviously another uh, allusion to George Clark's alleged alcoholism is what uh, Genius has written down here. Memories fly through the mask of your life, shielding you from time. The years that birthed the shell that you gained, hunched over an apathetic grief with the disregard for steps except the one taken back. This is like I just I just think it's a fantastic from start to finish. Um perched up on a rope crafted in smoke. Uh you know, the obvious tightrope kind of metaphor. A sh- a sword wielding death that buried your hope. So from what I gather with that is that's you know, the sword, double-edged sword. Uh I'm going to assume this is a reference to Carrie McCoy's drug use. Um this kind of idea of like, especially the type of walking, you know, how far can you go with it? Are you on, you know, are you pushing your luck kind of thing? Um, and then again, we have another reference right after that line to focus, like focusing on light through the blinds. This, this another light playing again, another kind of important motif on the album for, uh, you know, reflection and kind of looking forward to something better in your life. Uh, it, it comes up again and again and again, and it seems to be shielded by something every single time as well. Like the last time it was the eyelids. This time it's looking through blinds, um, sunglasses as well as another way that it's, it's, and it's kind of, uh, you know, this reluctance to kind of reluctance of acceptance, I guess which again is, uh, I can't take fully credit for it because I'm pretty sure I read that off Genius. <laughs> uh, but I am trying, I am trying, but I did do a lot of research for it. So kind of, uh, you know, when you think you had a great idea, but you're like, oh, I just stole that from somewhere else. But um, yeah. A slave to reality under a monarch in the sky, lost in the patterns of youth where the windows shine brightly back at you. Um, that last line hits particularly fucking hard. <laughs> so I'll play an instance of, uh, I'll play a bit of vertigo so you can see this is around the four minute 30 mark. And, uh, I think it kind of, it's, it's one of those moments in the song that I think perfectly exemplifies what death heaven are and what they were trying to do on this album. I think it's an amazing moment in the song. So I'm going to show that there's plenty of it. Like it's a 40 minute long song. There's plenty of other moments in it too, but I just love this particular section um, of the song. I think, I think it really shines through what the band are all about. See that transition? It's like, it's fucking seamless. It's so cool. And one of the things as well, actually, that should be pointed out, like, um, Kerry McCoy's guitar skills are like, I think they're criminally underrated. The the guitar solos that come in and the music, especially, 
black metal is not a genre that I normally associate with um, guitar solos. Like, there's a few bands that do it really well, like Mericognitum do it very well, which is a one-man band. Um, black Braid, uh, which is a new up-and-coming band, but they've had, I think their second album's coming out soon. Have quite a cool bunch of guitar solos in black metal. But normally, at least from the stuff that I listen to, it wouldn't have such guitar solo centric moments uh, in the music. But um, Death Heaven do it very, very well. But I love that seamless transition of just this. Um, I don't even know how to describe it. Just kind of like almost like that, like uh, just rock and roll kind of old school solo, and then just bang into blast speeds and the the black metal influence coming right through shining through very clearly um it's awesome and as i said one of the the last lyrics in that song before i went on has has the word windows in it which is the next and final interlude of the album and it's a very very interesting song uh again it kind of has these um spoken word uh somebody referred to it as beautiful drone droning of bible readings uh but what's particularly interesting about it is that the beginning of it is uh, an audio recording of Carrie going to a drug deal. Uh, so for, this is from uh, Pop Matters. Uh, the, so the, this is a reference to the dialogue uh, before the Bible readings, which was from a preacher, I think, in San Francisco. So the other audio sample that you hear, which is the very, very beginning of the song, just after the instrumental is, is Kerry going to a drug dealer. He had really got into opiates, mostly pharmaceutical, and it was a pretty big thing he was going through at the time, I felt. I told him, I think you should sample this. It's pretty raw and soul-bearing. I thought it would work well mixed in with this this preacher. Um, So again, it's kind of like, it's just one of these examples of what it shows that Death Heaven are willing to go there, like really laying your soul bare. Like I can't imagine, I can't imagine being addicted and kind of, you know, showcasing yourself in that particular way, you know, to put it into a, to a song is quite interesting. Uh, but, um, I'm not going to read the Bible expert cause it's long. Um, it's a pretty, it's kind of a fire and brimstone one. It actually, it literally has the word brimstone in it now that I'm kind of glancing through it. Maybe I should read it. Jesus spoke more of hell than he did of heaven and the love warning. He was warned to flee the wrath of God. The Bible says that because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for the day of wrath where God's righteous judgment will be prevailed. That's enough of that. But um, yeah, the the, uh, the audio samples and stuff is something that Death Heaven will revisit again on uh, New Bermuda. I I can't really recall off the top of my head, do they have them on the fourth album, Ordinary Corrupt Human Love? But there's definitely, like, there's a church bell for sure instrumental sample, sorry, on New Bermuda. But, um, yeah, Windows is kind of an, it's an interesting song. I, I find it kind of, uh, it just is one of those things, like, to, to sample a drug deal is just an interesting move. Um, even to go recording it, I think, is strange. But, uh, but yeah, compositionally, like in terms of the music in it, there's not really much music. It's it's uh, it's again, it, it has that kind of noise quality to it. That's please remember almost had. There's this weird church kind of just darkness to it. It I, for some reason it reminds me of the artist Prurient. Now Prurient's a lot more glitchy and that kind of character so i don't know why it reminds me of his music but uh i'll play a sample of it there's there's a very kind of foreboding sense sense in the song it's it's an inch it's an interesting song that's all i can really say about it for sure but um you'll hear a sample of it now but it does kind of give a kind of a real 
creepy vibe to me. So yeah, like I said, um, eerie as fuck, <laughs> to put it bluntly. But uh, we're moving into the final song on the album. Now this will be, so it's the Peak and Tree. Uh, as I said already, it's an extremely aggressively aggressive song, but Leave to Death Heaven to have one of the most beautiful and cathartic moments in the music at the end of the uh, song as well. So uh, I'll, show you, I'll show you both examples of that. I'll show you the, the aggressive side and the beautiful side, and then we'll put an end to the uh, the the episode well i'll do my little little conclusion but um again yeah. if you were listening to me at the beginning of the episode you probably mentioned heard me mention that george spent a lot of time with his brother and his mum, and that he had an absent father and that there was this notion of not wanting to be like him but discovering that he was just like him so that's what this particular tree uh, that's what this particular song is about so my notes here is that um it's George blames his father for his own failures because he feels that he uh, his father's responsible for the passing of genetics from Clark's father to Clark. So um, that's what the song's about. Um, so it begins with the lines drooling red from my eyes to meet the bitter sun. So again, and then, so, sorry, let me try that again. Drooling red from my eyes to beat th- to meet the bitter sun that shines past into light. So again, light coming into it, setting fire to curtains, something that blocks out light again, in hope that you're dreaming, destroying the tomb of memories from your life. So drooling red eyes would be an obvious metaphor for um, being hungover. I think we've all, I think people can uh, relate to that. Meeting the bitter sun, again, the sun being a motif of the album quite a bit. Um... Then setting fire to curtains. His father was very violent while drunk. His mother told him one night when he was a baby, his father tried to set fire to his bed, not because he wanted him dead, but to snuggle during nightmares is the genius annotation here. And then destroying the tomb of memories from your life. This is a reference to Clark's childhood and family life in general. He is being quoted. He's often been quoted saying that he never had a pleasant childhood and that his way of saying he wishes he could destroy all those bad memories. So, uh, it goes on to say in the lyrics, in a hallway lit up brightly but couldn't find myself, which I think is kind of a central aspect of this album when it's all coming to a close now. Um, I lay drunk on the concrete on the day of your birth in celebration of all you were worth. So another, again, another lyric, and almost in honor of his father and his birthday, Clark is laying unconscious in the street, passed out from night of heavy drinking. His father was an alcoholic and womanizer, and this issue passed on to Clark after his father passed away. Following in his footsteps is similar to praising his father's life of alcoholism, celebrating his worth. So then it goes on to say, which is the last section of the song, is I am my father's son. I am no one. I cannot love. It's in my blood. I am my father's son. Kind of a fucking 
downer note to visit to leave the album on not gonna lie <laughs> but um yeah in the interview with pitchfork that he did which i'd highly recommend reading it's a very good interview i'd also actually recommend um pitchfork uh, uh, there's a fantastic video on youtube of uh death heaven performing at pitchfork festival i think they're performing in 2013 but um it's a phenomenal show. It really, really is. Uh, it's definitely worth watching. It was one of the videos that made me really instantly love them. Um, I couldn't get over George's delivery and the kind of just the musicianship. And you, when you see the fucking drumming as well, like you'll hear the drumming now, as I said, I'm going to show you the aggressive moments and the quite, and the beautiful moments, particularly on this song, which is something that Death Heaven do so unbelievably well, but you'll hear it for sure. But uh, from the interview with Pitchfork, he says, it's, about this particular section of the song it's definitely a direct thing to my actual dad we actually get got back in touch and have a better relationship now but i've always had this thing where i've always seen my parents as people from a very young age my mom really instilled in me this idea that parents are not perfect and they make mistakes my dad is happy and there's something deep down that's disconnect with him after my mom and him split up and they had a very short marriage he never remarried and he lives at home alone and he always has our family took a very few big blows in the last couple of years and a lot of it was weighed on him Again, it's not a single story, but these different pieces that come together form a feeling of disappointment and sadness. I saw a lot of that in me and it really got me down. I had the idea to become really emotionally detached and a lot of the time I treated people that have cared about a lot really unfairly. So I want to share his identity because I feel like we are so similar. So that song is more about empathy with him. So I suppose it's not as dour as I thought it was, but... um. Yeah, so we'll go to the... I'll show you these. Like, as I said, the Pecan Tree is a particularly onslaught to the ears at moments in it. And then it just has these... It, the last two or three minutes of the songs are so beautiful. Um, but we'll start with the onslaught. So uh, here's the aggressive moment of the Pecan Tree. So yeah, just a really uh, shoegaze-drenched black metal song at the beginning. Um, just bear in mind, the next portion is the same song. The song's 11 minutes long. So, by the way, big ups to Dan Tracy. Like, Jesus Christ. I don't think the drumming in Death Heaven gets looked on enough. Like, holy shit. <laughs> it's, it's phenomenal. It really... Like, I don't even know how... Like, I can't... I can't move my arms that fast. Never mind do it for, you know, four minutes straight. <laughs> it's pretty impressive, to say the least. Obviously, it's impressive. But um, so, yeah, here's what closes the album out. And just the juxtaposition of the two, like from start to finish, I think exemplifies just how amazing De- uh, Death Evidence Sunday there is as an album. Just, again... I know I've mentioned it a thousand times now in this episode, but the ability to just seamlessly go to different moments of emotion and lush, 
beautiful mixed with aggression and grime it's 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 really is fantastic so here's the closer of this album the beacon tree album um so we're at the end of the album now i guess i should do just a little bit of why i decided to pick this album why it was so special that it celebrated 10 years uh why it's so special to me um but uh yeah like i guess i'll just go right into it like i i uh this album i fucked with this album quite a bit because it came at a very kind of crucial moment in my life uh i was people who know me probably are aware of this, but I don't think I've mentioned it very often on the podcast if, if maybe at all, but, um, I was quite mentally unwell, uh, for a lot of my twenties, unfortunately I'm fine now, but, um, you know, it wasn't good. And I was real, I did the real smart thing of not telling anybody. (laughs) So I, uh, I, I've, I don't know why I felt I was self-harm was kind of the main, uh, thing that I was struggling with um pretty badly but uh yeah I didn't really tell anybody which sucked um I don't know why I did that but um so I didn't really have a lot of outlets to go to and for whatever bizarre reason I don't know why if it was to do with you know the themes that were covered and stuff I just found myself going to this album so much over and over and over again um and uh, would just listen to it on a very regular basis and it really was it was like something like it was almost like it was tangible to me you know it was something that I could latch on to that really helped me feel in control of whatever was going on well not in control but it just kind of gave me a sense of relief and I was just like fuck okay it's fine you can you can get through it it'll be good um I think it's fantastic that music can have that quality on people and I really am one of these people that really does need it almost as a, as an outlet for myself to think clearly and um because in that kind of headspace you're not thinking clearly at all so and thankfully i did i do a very 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 close knit of friends like people like zach who's been on the podcast uh chloe who's been on as well and a whole host of others that i could mention beth hugo whatever um i ha- i did have them but when i didn't have them around because you know they can't be around 24 7 I had this album and it really did help me in so many ways. Um, so it is a very, very personal album to me. Uh, thankfully, I'm way past that. I can I can safely say that I'm probably at my happiest I've been in years. But uh, it's, it, it, it's so important to me that I actually got, I, I have uh, against most people's best wishes to say, don't get a tattoo of a band. I do have a Dreamhouse tattoo um, on my leg which I got by my friend Alexia gave it to me, most of tattoos, hit her up. She does lovely work. But uh, it's it's a drawing of a house. It's a, it's a little, it's, it's a kid's drawing of a house. And the reason why I got it drawn as a kid, because not only does it fuck with the, um, you know, the themes that's going on in this particular album, but I got it drawn as a kid because my mom used to say to me, she was like, you know, you were always 
such a happy child. And it always resonated with me. It's like, I want to go back to that. Um, so it's kind of like a little personal reminder of that little moment in my life. But uh, yeah, I, th- I thought it was special to do an episode on it. As I said, it's a very personal album to me. I really do love it. I can't wait to see them in August. It's going to be sick. But uh, thank you if you've listened to the whole episode. I really do appreciate it. It was a, it was a long one. <laughs> I didn't think it'd be this long. But um, yeah, that's uh, my little roundup of Sunbather 10 years on. Maybe when we get to New Bermuda in two more years, if I'm still doing the podcast, which I really hope I am because it's, it's the thing that I love most in my life now at the moment. But um, we'll probably do that. But uh, yeah, thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you enjoyed the episode, as per usual, please give me a follow. It really does help me out. You have no idea. It genuinely does. Um, and maybe shoot me a message as well if you liked it and let me know I'd, I'd appreciate that but uh, for now I'm going to leave it with the theme music by Zach Stevenson and uh, have a good week and thank you so much for listening goodbye <laughs> <laughs>